Well, good morning. It's good to have you all back after the 4th of July. I'm assuming everybody has all their fingers and their toes, and everybody obviously ate well, so that was good because you, you do need your strength, right? So we're really glad that you're here this morning. For those who don't know or haven't had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Nicholas Hill. That is my given name. You can call me Nick. I also like nicknames, so, you know, fire them away at me. But if you haven't got to meet me, I'm the counseling pastor here at Solid Rock, and uh, it's an honor. I got to preach last week and this week, and to put your minds at ease, Jason is okay. He's actually right here at the front, so stop calling and asking if he's okay. We fed him. He's had food and water. He did break through the knots that I tied him up with so I could preach, but uh, we're really glad that you're here this morning and continue this, this unstoppable acts series as we continue to look at what God is doing in the church, and, and in specifically today we're going to be looking at what God is doing in Paul's life and ministry. And so if we want to recap for those who weren't here, or just a refresher, um, last week we looked at Paul's finally arriving at Jerusalem. We've been waiting and we've been seeing this tension build up. We've seen uh, prophets, prophets coming to him, the Holy Spirit revealing this inevitable suffering that is coming for Paul. And we see this unstoppable call, this, this will that God has for Paul's life, which is to preach the gospel of grace of God. And that Paul has been doing that through all these cities and all these missionary journeys. And now he's at Jerusalem. And last week we see that even though he's received well by the church and they're excited about what God has been doing and all the thousands that have come to know him, there's this opposition, though, that has arisen in the city against Paul's ministry and misunderstanding and some, maybe some false ideas of what his ministry has really been about, that the Jews feel like he's against the law. And so in this feverish like opposition against him, the Jews rise up against Paul with these false accusations, and they, they come against him, and they claim that he has taken someone unclean or unworthy, a Gentile, into the inner temples. And by doing so, they get the whole city in this uproar, and so the whole city comes after Paul. They drag him out. They begin to beat him. And as he's being beaten, we, we see that the Roman uh, tribune has heard of what's going on, the commotion. The whole city is up in roar. And so they come and they seize Paul and they take and they arrest him. We see the prophecy of him being bound up in, in Jerusalem by the Gentiles becoming true. And he's being hauled off and they're carrying him off to the barracks because the violence of the crowd is so much the hate is so much, and they're trying to kill him that he has to be hauled off. And so that's what we're going to be picking up today, is we're going to be seeing Paul having this conversation with the commander, Claudius, as he's being led away and the crowd chanting away with him. And if we look at this, the story of what God is doing in the book of Acts, that God, uh, Jesus came in the Gospels, he, his ministry, his death and burial and resurrection, we have the Gospel and now we have seen that he's ascended and God established the church in Jerusalem. God used suffering to spread his gospel throughout all the area. He got, God used suffering to spread his church to all the different areas. And we see this overarching story of what God is doing. And we see God's hand in all these individual stories like we're seeing with Paul. And we're seeing the story of Paul's uh, conversion as he gives defense before the people this morning. And let's just keep in mind that God has this overarching story for his, his church, for, for you and I, for his kingdom, for his will to be done. 
And you've heard it multiple times before if you've been here at Solid for very long that we want God to be the author of our story because what he can do and what he is able to do and has done is far greater than anything we can come up with that we can think of. And so as we look at Paul and we hear Paul's story, I hope you see that there is this overarching hand of God's sovereignty and God's will being done through this testimony of what Paul's about to give. And so we see Paul in this inevitable suffering. We see Paul in his desire and calling to preach the gospel of the grace of God. And so now we're going to pick up where Paul is having this conversation bound, and he's having this conversation with his commander Claudius, and that's where we'll pick up in Acts 21, starting in verse 37. And as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he says, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up the revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins into the wilderness? What the, the commander here is saying real quick is there was a revolt a few years back of this Egyptian who was leading a revolt against the Roman uh, government and, and the Roman people. And what they were doing was assassinating key figures. And they were actually called dagger men. And what they would do is in a crowded uh, place, they would have these daggers and they would stab somebody and then kind of use the crowd to kind of creep back away. And they were terrorists is what they were. But the uh, story or the, the account that we're seeing right here is that a few years before, they met at the Mount of Olives and the Roman government, the Roman soldiers encountered these men and the Romans defeated them. But the Egyptian leader of this group, these assassins, he escaped. And when all this confusion was going on, when Paul was arrested, they didn't know who he was or what he was doing. So this commander is assuming, like, hey, are you this Egyptian that led the 4,000 assassins? That's what we're seeing right there, just as a side note. And so Paul, in verse 39, replies, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. He says, I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. Let's keep in mind that Paul has just been beaten. Thousands of people have come against him, a whole city, and he's now been arrested and being taken to the barracks. And as he's doing this, he's asking this commander to speak to the very people who want to see him killed. I don't know about you, but Paul's a bigger man than I am. Paul doesn't owe these folks anything. Paul has given his life to the ministry for so long, and the people have not always been grateful for that. He has been beaten. He has been stoned. He has even been in prison and run off. Like Paul's met opposition and suffering throughout his ministry, as we've seen. And now we see this happening again in Jerusalem. And the first thing that comes to Paul's mind is this, I want to speak to these people so they may hear the defense that I want to set before them. And we'll see that the defense is not of Paul's life. Like Paul's not saying, whoa, 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 I didn't mean it. Hey, we can all be friends. I take it back. We'll, we'll start all over again. What Paul's defense is, is of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and this gospel that has changed his life. The gospel that Paul is willing to be imprisoned by, the one that he is being suffered for, and the one that he's willing to lay his life down. We look back, you remember in Acts 20, and Paul's like, I don't even consider my life worth a value, Okay. It's the presenting of the gospel, the preaching, that thing that I've been called to. And so we see Paul, even in the midst of suffering, and even in the midst of this hardship, is willing to put that aside so that he may speak to the people. Folks, the Christian life, whether you've been a Christian for a little bit or for a long time, is not easy. 
if you've come into the Christian faith thinking that's what it's supposed to be like, that if I become a Christian, that all of a sudden life makes sense and life's going to be better, there's no going to be hurts or pains or sorrows or struggles, that is not the case. That is not something we've been promised by God and His Word. If anything, the Christian walk to live a gospel-centered life is hard work. As we see here with Paul, that Paul is willing to go and do what is necessary, even though it is not fun, it is not easy. God never promised us easy. Did he promise us peace? Yes. Joy? Yes. Did he promise us uh, that we would one day be without sorrow with him? Yes. But in this life, there's going to be tribulations and trouble because we live in a fallen world. But God says, I've come and I've overcome the world. We see that in the Gospel of John. Why? He's like, so you can have peace. The Christian walk, gospel-centered living is hard. It is not easy. It is something we fervently have to work for. We look in the Gospels where it talks about laying down our cross or crucifying ourselves and picking up our cross daily to follow after God. I don't know about you, but I do not wake up in the morning and pop my head off the pillow and walk as a good Christian just because I woke up. Even if I have taken a shower and had coffee in my breakfast or whatever, I do not wake up and automatically have this desire to love and serve other people that may be ungrateful, rude, or hostile to me just because I woke up. I am a sinner saved by grace, and it is not because of anything in me but in Christ alone that we are able to do His will. And so to be a Christian is not easy. We have to have this focus intentionality of seeking after God every single day and every moment because if not, we tend to do things in our own strength and our own power. And when we do that, and I've, I can testify that I have done this, I have recently in the past year or so have walked in my own strength thinking I was doing the right thing, thinking I was doing the things for God. And even though I was doing these good things, they weren't sinful things that we would see like lying or cheating. I was trying to do things in my own strength, and I was burnt out. I was tired. I was used up. We don't just simply pop up and strive after God because we're just automatically good people when we get saved. We are still sinners. The sin doesn't have to own us, but it's still a part of us. And so one of the elements that we need to remember is that a gospel-centered life is hard work. It is not easy, but it is doable. And so as we look at Paul and we look at him going through this tribulation, this suffering, this affliction, we see him desiring to continue to do the will of God, which is to preach the gospel, the grace of God, even though he is suffering. We see it as hard work. Paul never views the situation as negative. You never see Paul going, God, this isn't what we talked about. We never see him asking, well, God, where are you? Why me? We see Paul accepting the situation as a God-ordained circumstance. It did not catch God off by surprise. And God is now frantically trying to figure out how to help Paul, his missionary, his apostle, because God wasn't expecting the Jews to rise up against him and the Romans to help. God's sovereignty and his plan knew of the suffering. He even prophesied leading up to it that this was going to happen. And we look at even though the people revolting against the gospel and against Paul and his ministry by taking him into custody, they have not thwarted the will of God. Think about this for a moment, that even though Paul is captive, he is still preaching the gospel of the grace of God. 
Even though he is captive, God's will of him suffering for the gospel and preaching the gospel is still happening. You see, no matter what you think you can do or someone else can do, they cannot step outside of the sovereignty of and the power of what God has already ordained or allowed to happen or what is in God's control. And so even though the people think they plotted and figured out a way to get rid of Paul, they have not stopped the will of Father. And so even though this has been a tough, Paul does not look at this as anything other than a God-ordained circumstance, even though it is negative, even though it is painful. So because of Christ, Paul is able to speak with freedom and boldness of the gospel of the grace of God. Even though he may be captive, he ultimately is free. And I think that's important for us to remember. In verse 40, we see them give him permission to speak. So let's pick up there in verse 40. And when he had given, in, given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, in Sicilia, but brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but if you're looking for a baby name, there it is. Okay? Baby Gammy. According to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. Paul asking in the midst of turmoil to speak, even though it is hard, living out the gospel, doing the will of the Father. Now he's talking to this Jewish group that wants to kill him, and the very first thing he does is he's empathizing with the people. He stands up and speaks their native language. He stands up and he starts to tell them where he's, I'm from Tarsus, I am a Jew just like you. And not only that, I have been educated here in Jerusalem at the feet of baby Gammy. That's what we're going to use, okay? He said, I've been educated on all of these things just like you. I was zealous for God in the law just like you. He's empathizing with them. He knows, and it's not just this trickery or manipulation. He knows where they're coming from. He's empathizing for the fact that he knows what they're thinking and what they're feeling and the things that are, that are at risk of them losing because of the gospel. He sees it. He gets it. And he's letting them understand by speaking their language, by recognizing their education, their upbringing, that he is just like they were or just like they are. And he's empathizing with them. Paul would have known the Hebrew language. Paul would have been well-versed in other, probably Latin or Greek, you know, things like that. Were, uh, Latin. <laughs> and then Paul would have been understand, would have understand the Torah, the, the laws. He would understand religious purity rites, the festivals. Paul understood their culture. Paul understood the religion, imminent, that he knew what they were thinking and feeling. And so Paul uh, empathetically reaches out to them, and with a hushed tone, he's got their attention. Speaking their language, they, they quiet down and they're listening. Paul using the opportunity to share the gospel. 
Now we see Paul's conversion story in verse 4. I persecuted this way to the death, the way meaning those that follow after Christ, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. As the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness, from them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed towards Damascus to take those who also were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. This is what Saul was doing, actively seeking out Christians, traveling to bind them up and bring them back to Jerusalem, men, women. Verse 6. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from the heavens suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go to Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand of those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness from him to everyone of what you have been and what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Paul gives his testimony of the conversion of what happens. We see this first in Acts 9 of the story of how Saul, the persecutor of the church and of God and of, and of believers, how he came to interact with Jesus himself on the way to Damascus and become Paul. And we see even in Acts 9 that Ananias doesn't want anything to do with him because Ananias, when he is met by the vision of God and God says, I want you to go meet this guy, Saul, Ananias is like, mm-mm. See, I've heard of this Saul guy. He is against you and believers. Like, he does evil things. So Saul's testimony of who he used to be or who he was was very well known. Paul did evil things against the Lord, against those who believed. But you see, when Paul shares his testimony, this conversion story with the Jews that is standing in front of him, Paul is being authentic, he's being genuine, he's being transparent about who he was. We see in all of Paul's letters that he is authentic and genuine with the way he struggles in his life with sin, where he struggles in his life where he wants to do the good thing but can't, and the things that he shouldn't do, he does. We see this authenticity that when Paul shares the story of the gospel and how it transformed his life, that he is being honest about what has been a part of him. You see, if we're going to be a church, if we're going to be a people that is gospel-centered, we need to be a people that are authentic in who we are and where we struggle. And being that, we need to be a people of confession. We need to be a people who share and uh, use the community of the gospel here at Solid Rock and, and in part of our community and be honest about where we struggle. 
Because the problem is, is you haven't gotten there yet. And the reason I know that is because I haven't, is we're still alive. We still struggle with the sin nature. It doesn't have dominion over us, but it still is a part of us. We, we talk about our, our salvation stories as in the past, but we live in a sinful day where we struggle with our sins on a daily basis. And it would not be uh, honest or authentic for us to pretend that we are stronger or have got it figured out and we are not struggling like the other sinners. We are the other sinners. If you think about what it means to be authentic and to be transparent is not to put on this facade when sharing the gospel or, or witnessing or walking with another brother or sister to pretend like I've got it all figured out. Authenticity and true confession is what are going to drive and encourage and draw people to the person of Christ. I've shared this many times as part of my testimony that when I was growing up, I really thought that pastors and missionaries and Sunday school teachers and deacons and elders and all these people, they, they figured it out. They finally arrived and they didn't sin anymore. All I saw was just the goodness from them. There wasn't ever this honest discussion about struggling, whether as a father or as a husband or as, as a son or as a worker or as an employee or just as a Christian in general. We want to have this authentic gospel. We need to be authentically and transparently and honestly confessing where we struggle at with things. For me to pretend that I don't have issues or that I don't have sin in my life would only be giving Satan a foothold in my life to enter in and destroy me. Because we are sinners. We have all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, saved by grace, yes, but we are not to a place where we have overcome those things in our life. We are a people that are still arriving. And when we finally stand face to face with the Lord and his presence, then we've arrived. But until then, you and I are still in a process of sanctification, of yes, still living in sin and it's messy and it's not perfect, but we are moving away from that, moving from one point of glory to the next, as God conforms us and as God works out a, per, a better story in our life and as God works out his ultimate will for us, for his church, for his kingdom. We need to be authentic about where we struggle, where we are. Less of me and more of Christ is the cry that we need to have because ultimately we don't have it all figured out. We are in need of a Savior. In true confession and true uh, repentance puts us in a place where we recognize our need for Christ. I was recently at a, a training thing for work this past Wednesday, and the whole theme of this training was called the Fell Factory. It was really encouraging. And so for 10 plus hours, I failed and I failed and I failed. I got a little victory, then I failed again. And the whole idea of that whole training process was for you to have a true understanding of what you're capable of or what you can do for your job, for safety, for all of these different things, you got to know where your weaknesses are. Until you know where your weaknesses are, you're just living a lie. You're going to get yourself killed or someone else killed. And so the self-actualization, there's your $5 pop psychology word, 
what we're really talking about is understanding where we really are, admitting it to God because God already knows it. We're just recognizing and agreeing, I'm in sin and I need help. When we do that, we, we place ourselves in a submission and a place that's usable by God. And great things for the gospel can happen when we are honest and authentic, where we struggle as a church, as we struggle as individuals, and we share about the powerful testimony of what God pulled us out of and what God continues to pull us out of on a daily basis. Folks, I am not a good father just because I read some books. I get frustrated when I'm trying to look at the illogical nature that my son thinks for the 50,000th time. And I love to tell you that every single time I've responded like Jesus, but I haven't. Because here's the thing a lot of us will do is we get to this point of just being tired. We're just tired. And we just want them to go to bed. Or we want somebody at work just to do it and stop asking us questions. You've heard the thing where this meeting could have just been an email. And you're just tired. And really when we talk about it and we look, then we've, we're, if we're being honest, then we've probably come to a place where we're just doing everything in our own strength. And we're no longer being honest with ourselves, with our sin. We're no longer standing before God in his presence in his word on a regular basis. And we start to just allow that foothold of Satan to enter into our lives. We haven't arrived yet. Let's be a people who are willing to admit that and live an authentic life of confession. Because that's where we really are. That's where we need to be. Where we're less and Christ is more. That's when great things happen. Let's be a part of God's will in that way. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 17. When I had returned to Jerusalem when I was praying in the temple, this is Paul speaking, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me and I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen and your witness was being shed, I myself standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you away far to the Gentiles. We see Paul after his conversion in the temple, fervently seeking after God in prayer, and God comes to him in a vision. <clears throat> if we look back at Paul's conversion, especially in Acts 9, we see that God has a plan, because Ananias is saying, God, I don't want anything to do with this guy. He's just done evil things against you, against the believers. He's got papers to take men and women back to Jerusalem. And God tells Ananias, he goes, listen, do this, because my will is for this guy to be a minister of my gospel to the Gentiles and the kings and the others. And God, even at that point, is pointing to this ministry that Paul has of the gospel, the grace of God. <clears throat> this suffering that Paul's going to endure throughout his whole entire ministry. We see, even in negative times or negative situations, gospel living is centered on the fact that God is sovereign. That overarching story that is being written and being dealt out or lived out, <clears throat> he is in control of it. 
even in negative situations that we live that are difficult and suffering, we tend to look at those and allow the lies of Satan to enter in where we start saying, where are you, Lord? Why is this happening to me? Our feelings, we start to become uh, discouraged. Folks, our feelings are not a good way to determine what is true and what is real. Satan will use those things to knock us off or to discourage us and to get us looking inward to ourselves and our own strength instead of looking at God. But a gospel-centered life is, is centered on the fact that God is sovereign and his word is true. And then when we seek after him, he will be there. And so we see Paul seeking after God. We see God having this overarching desire of what he wants. And we see Paul's life and we see the individual story of how it's being told and, and lived out. And even though these situations are, are difficult and they're not easy, which we've already looked at the Christian life is hard, Paul living out in this authenticity that he knows his story, he knows what he's done, he knows he struggles with the sin but doesn't want it to have dominion in his life. We see him be authentic and live out that gospel. But we see here that God has a sovereign plan. We may not fully understand it. We may not fully know what the outcome is going to be. But God's word is something we can rest on. Not the situation, not our feelings, not how I can work out how this makes a better sense in my head if I could just figure out why this happened. Because really all we're trying to do is comfort ourselves. But if we can truly rest in submission to God's word and God's, God's authority, his sovereignty, then we can be a people that can live out the gospel in our everyday lives no matter what the situation is. Because he is in control that nothing happens outside of his um, sovereignty, his control, his authority. <clears throat> As we look at these things and we look at um, the gospel and how it's normally met with opposition, it's hostile, that when we share the gospel, it won't always be received well. If I had it my way, we ended on 21 of 22 today. Verse 22 would be, and all the people fell down and worshiped the Lord. But next week, we're going to see that that's not the case. <coughs> Excuse me. We look at people who are lost and we think, man, why do they reject the gospel? It's so good. But if you think even as believers, we do the same thing where we wrestle with God and we disagree because there are certain things we don't want to give up, like our comfort, um, like the things we think make us happy, like the things we think that are important or the things that define our lives. And we wrestle with God, and we, we don't want to give those things up. And, we, and in fact, even ourselves can become hostile to, to him or rebellious in him because we don't want to give those things up that he's calling us to lay down. Even our idolatrous, sinful selves will fight against him. I think Jason was talking a while back about a Tim Keller quote is, if you don't disagree with God, then you're probably serving your own version of who you think God is. Because if you're not disagreeing with God as a sinful individual, then something's wrong, right? I pray and hope that as we seek after God in his word and through our daily lives, that even though he may do something like he said, where Paul's like, I want to, the people heard my testimony. They know who I am. They know what I've done. 
even though God says, I want you to move on, that we can still say, yes, Lord, let your will be done. Even if that means we don't know what the outcome is going to look like. Or even if that means we know what the outcome looks like and we don't like it. That we can walk in submission to his word and his gospel and say, yes, Lord, let your will be done. Because God's greatest story that he is doing is far better than anything we could do. That we can come up with. I've worked hard at doing that before. I failed miserably. And you would think I would learn from that, but I still try it sometimes. And God in his lovingness reveals sin. That we do not have to stay in those things because our sins find us out, folks. Our sins will find us out. Why? Because God loves us. He doesn't want us to stay in our sinful nature and our our dirtiness. He's, He's got this kingdom, this will, this gospel, the grace of God that he wants all those to hear and to accept and to receive that. And so let us be a, a people that work hard, not because we can influence God, but because we strive after his holiness and we move away from the messy, sinful nature that we are. Let us be a people that are authentic and transparent, but let us be a people who rest in the sovereignty of God that we can trust that no matter what, he is in control And what he has is better. Not easy, but better. And we can walk in that, I think, with peace and joy. And it's beyond anything that we could ever understand or know. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. And as we start to come into a time of response and prayer, I don't know where you are on individual levels. I know you're here because God wants you to be here, and I know that God has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of you. If you're here this morning and we've been talking about the gospel, which is the fact that Jesus has come, he's died for our sins, that we all have, and because he defeated death by being buried and resurrecting again, he's defeated death that we may have life with him. If this is the first time or maybe you've never made that decision, then we want to encourage you to come and speak to us. We're going to have prayer partners in the back over here of the room that would love to talk to you. They're going to have lanyards that says prayer partner. Or if you're a Christian, you're a believer today, and you're thinking, man, I don't know if I have been living the way we see Paul living out for the gospel. If that's you, then maybe God is calling you to lay some things down before him to say, I'm going to make a commitment and a trust that I trust you that I am all in. And so as we come into a time of preference and, and the worship team starts playing, let's respond to the Lord this morning accordingly to how he is moving in your heart. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, and I just ask God that as we've heard your word, that, Lord, that it would be the only thing that we think about today is what you have revealed, not anything I've said or anything else. That your word alone would speak and transform lives today. God, you do not need us to grow your church. You do not need us to grow your kingdom, but God, yet you choose to do so. And even though the world may come against us, and even we may be a part of that hostility, Father, we see that your sovereign plan cannot be stopped. 
So I pray, Lord, that our hearts would just be a desire to say yes to you and to submit to your your story, your, your plan, your purpose, Father, because it's far greater than anything we could ever want or hope for. So, Lord, we come before you now and pray this in the name of Jesus.